Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and co-host, Christian Ubius. Christian, it's time. We're finally, finally talking about Eternals. How are you feeling? I feel like I've seen this movie now years ago. Because <laughs> I saw it when it premiered, and now it's... Yep. been a while yes i know it, it normally we try to get to these new release movies when they are arriving but we did have to delay eternals obviously to talk about black widow and shang chi and so it's exciting to finally get a chance to put all of these thoughts in my head and assuredly in yours out into the world and i'm sure we'll find things to talk about and argue about together but i'm also looking forward to talking about just 2021 in marvel thus far which you know the, the full thrust of this conversation will be eternals but it'll be fun to kind of look back on the year in marvel as we've gotten it and see how we both feel about it all right so i'm just gonna say that we we want to jump into this conversation so we're gonna jump into the background information right now let's do it cool uh eternals was written by Chloe Zhao, Patrick Burley, Ryan Fippo, and uh, Kaz Firpo. Firpo. Yes. Firpo. I think. Firepo. I think just Firpo. They're cousins. Firpy. There's a little fun fact prelude to the fun facts. <laughs> so are like when you get a group of Firpos together, are they Firpi? Uh, you might you might say that, but maybe I would meet them first, see if they're cool with it. They're since they're people, you know, they might have their own opinions of the matter. But that's neither here nor there. Furpo Cousins, if yeah, you're out there. people being people are neither here nor there. Furpo Cousins, come on the pod if you're out there. We'd love to have you as guests. Uh, maybe. We, we, would, we would check you out first. We would see how, if you bought us dinner. And then we would say, maybe. I would welcome any Marvel screenwriter onto this podcast, frankly. So, <laughs> pardon. Pardon my co-host if you're listening. The Eternals are... A in an ancient race of aliens sent to Earth. There are eight of them. They are Ajak and Cersei and Icarus and Makari and Druig and Faustos and Thena and oh oh Kingo and there's nine. There's ten. <laughs> Sprite and dang it! Wait wait. <laughs> Wait, is the 10th one important? They're all important, Christian. But I would say yes. Um, frick. This is great podcasting. <laughs> Who's the 10th one? He punches, Christian. He punches. Gilgamesh! Hey, there it is. Gilgamesh. Are... <laughs> uh, but they are an alien race who have been sent to Earth thousands of years ago, and they aided a bit in Earth's development as they fought against the Deviants, who are also aliens sent to Earth to kill humans. And they are there because they follow the reign of a Celestial, who is basically a god-like alien. And Asherim? Arishem. Arishem. Arishem is the god-like thing. <laughs> and the story is that uh, they are... They think that uh, deviants have been gone for 600 years or so, but then they encounter one. And so they go on a mission to reunite the the Eternals. Gotta get the band back together. Yes, because they're, they're also waiting for something called the Convergence to occur, which is the birth of a Celestial on Earth. <laughs> it's giving away major plot details. <laughs> that, that, no. That was no, like I, an hour into the movie. <laughs> that, no, no, no. Fine. Fine, I'll allow it. Sorry if you haven't seen Eternals yet. You were just really jonesing for our conversation and now we spoiled I mean, something. I, I, but... didn't say, I didn't say some of the important thing that comes <laughs> yeah, with it's... the birth of a Celestial. Yeah, yeah, it's true, it's true. We're okay, good. so I covered my bases. <laughs> Got all ten Eternals, covered their experience of human history. We're ready to roll. Great. Uh... What else is there in terms of background information? Uh, just in terms of background information, I think Eternals is, after Shang-Chi, it is another Marvel movie introducing a host of new characters, and I look forward to talking about which ones did or did not work for you. The one major character, major in quotation marks maybe, but who we did not mention yet is Kit Harington's character. He's a human, not an Eternal. He's but... in five minutes of the movie. Yeah, we'll get to him. 
But there, there's a lot of um, setting the stage here for future MCU adventures. There's a ton of new characters who get introduced. And of course, this was a, a gamble in turning the reins of an MCU movie over to Chloe Zhao, who obviously is coming off an Oscar win for Best Director for Nomadland. And Best Picture. And Best Picture. And which, nominated for Best Writing. Yeah. And nominated for Best Editing. She had a good year. Which, very different from the typical MCU movie Nomadland is. And so, it was a bit of an experiment, as Marvel has tended to elevate indie you know, indie directors to the directorial chair, but uh, Chloe Zhao is just a very, very different style, not very action-oriented, and so, you know, we'll talk about how that particular style works. Critically not taken well, this movie. No, of course. So if you've been following along with Eternals, you are probably aware that this is one of the, one of the first, if not the first MCU movie to have a rotten score on Rotten Tomatoes, which... You know, neither here nor there, but also a low score on Metacritic as well. One of but the a high movies. audience score, but a high audience score as these movies tend to have, but still also received a, like a B or a B plus from Cinema Score, which is very low for a Marvel movie. Most of them get A A minuses or higher. But two hundred and eighty million dollars in the box office. Still, yes, a huge box office success. Definitely good. Good for Marvel movies. They are still doing good business even when they are received poorly. So. I am gonna. I am looking forward to just unpacking this movie with you, Christian, because I, there are so many things that I, that in a way have maybe confused me <laughs> about the general reception to this movie, and so I think it'll be fun to unpack it in our conversation. Let's go into fun facts. Oh yes, let's do it. All right. Now, one of the fun facts that I found was that Angelina Jolie called Marvel, saying that she wished to be a part of Eternals. That she heard about the project, thought it was cool, and wanted to join. Can you imagine Angelina Jolie giving you a ring, being like, hey, put me in your movie. Is there anybody out there who says no? I don't think so. Marvel definitely isn't saying no. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. And we're, we're, we're adding some high-notch actors. And this isn't my fun fact, but we have two of the Game of Thrones, you know, Starks here. And therefore, we people who people know multiple, yeah, multiple Oscar nominees being added to the MCU, and I mean, in the case of Jolie, Oscar winners as well. So definitely, some very interesting people being added to the MCU. One thing that I enjoyed about this movie, I, I feel good about myself because I actually caught it in the credits. I didn't know this beforehand, but Chloe Zhao is in a long-term relationship with both uh, romantically, I believe, as well as creatively with a cinematographer by the name of Joshua James Richards. He worked with her on The Rider and Nomadland. And while Ben Davis is the cinematographer of Eternals, Joshua James Richards was the camera operator. So... Obviously, the camera team can be comprised of many people, especially if you have multiple units shooting at once, but typically a cinematographer is somebody who is helping design the visual look of the movie and is, you know, the manager for all the camera operators and other folks, and so uh, Richards still got to be a key part of the movie, despite not being the lead, you know, the DP, he was able to still operate the camera and contribute to the look of the movie. So you can see that as some of, you know, the Zhao er, signifiers come out visually for this movie. Look at you reading the credits. Look at me reading the credits. Always stick around for the credits, folks, even when it's not a Marvel movie. There's, there's good music. You can celebrate the people making the movie, finish off your drink, whatever. I, I am a credits watcher. I recommend it. Uh, okay, cool. Second, and my final fun fact, is that filming for Eternal started around the same time as that of Infinity War and Endgame, so Chloe Zhao got major plot points of those movies spoiled for her, and the <laughs> team did as well. Poor Chloe and poor crew. <laughs> yeah, poor Chloe with your... With your box office success and indie darlingness and Oscar wins, man, <laughs> yeah, she's she's doing fine. Listed on the time like Times 100 most influential people 2021, man, yeah, no one right. has it harder. <laughs> she's all right, Christian. I'm gonna annoy you because I got two fun facts left for you. But first one, this movie was scored by Ramin Jawadi, and it marks his return to the MCU. Do you know the first Marvel movie that he did the music for? Ramin Jawadi. The yes. name is familiar. Yes. Um, Game of Thrones, probably some of his best work, what he's most famous for, but Thor the Dark World? No. Going all the way back to the beginning, he scored Iron Man. So he directed oh, wow. composed the music for the very first MCU movie, and now he has returned all these many years later. And my other fun fact for you, Chloe Zhao is the third Oscar winner to direct a Marvel movie. Do you know the other two? Wait, Oscar winner for best director? Or Oscar winner for what? 
Who's to say? The other two people... Okay, so... Oscar Witt... Kenneth Branagh hasn't won an Oscar, has he? Unfortunately, no. He has not. He's sure going for one with Belfast, which I'm curious to see if that will be discussed on the show at all. But he has not yet won an Oscar. Okay, so because I know Kenneth Branagh has directed it, uh, Taika Waititi. Yes. is one. So Taika Waititi, obviously not an Oscar winner when he directed Thor Ragnarok, but did win for Best Adapted Screenplay for Jojo Rabbit a couple years after Ragnarok. I don't think you're going to get the the first one. So. Who's the first one? So, the original Captain America, the first Avenger, was directed by Joe Johnston, Hollywood mainstay, but who started out his career with Industrial Light and Magic, who many of you will know from uh, movies that worked with Lucasfilm, like the Star Wars movies, obviously, and Raiders of the Lost Ark, which he won an Oscar for, for Best Visual Effects, due to his work with ILM. So he has not won, nobody else has won Best Director. Chloe Zhao is the first Best Director Oscar winner to work on an MCU movie, but she is the third person with an Oscar to direct an MCU movie. What Best Director Oscar winners could do a Marvel movie well? Can you imagine Martin Scorsese's MCU movie? (laughs) I feel like it'd be similar to Deadpool. Deadpool? What? Yeah, because... Because Deadpool's basically Wolf of Wall Street, but violent. <laughs> it's because the movie breaks the fourth wall. I don't know. I, I, uh, I don't know. Why do you mean break the? Do they break the fourth wall in Wolf of Wall Street? They don't. They do. Okay, that's what I was gonna say. I was just gonna say like breaking the fourth wall doesn't mean something is like Deadpool. But well, I guess sex. <laughs> I, I was mostly joking about Martin Scorsese. I, I feel that he would have to direct something that is less superpowered, so maybe a hero who punches people and in the city. Daredevil. Daredevil. Or Deadpool. Luke Cage, someone like that. Deadpool shoots and slashes. Another Best Director winner, who, I, I mean, I, I don't have them all Catherine coming Bigelow. to mind right now. Catherine Bigelow might be interesting. I, I kind of hope that she gets a chance to continue to make movies. She has not been in the... In the dial- in dialogue for a while. Was her last movie Detroit at this point? Yeah. Um, Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Yeah. Okay. A fun thought exercise for another time. All right. So we are um, we're starting with opening question now. Scott, I don't know if you know this, but the last movie that Chloe Zhao directed won Best Picture. <laughs> it sure did. <laughs> I, we, we did just talk about this. <laughs> and. Uh, since then, it's been interesting to see and indie darling and critical mainstay face such harsh pushback on the movie that she's been. Also interesting to see is the polarizing view of several uh, non-critics audience members vehemently enjoy this movie or to the extent that they are at least buying tickets for it and making it the box office success that it is. Therefore, given the previous work that we have seen Chloe Zhao do, is this film a Chloe Zhao movie? That is an excellent opening question, my friend. And I think this movie is wrestling with wanting to be a Chloe Zhao movie, but needing to be an MCU movie. And, I mean, you and I listen to a lot of podcasts from The Ringer, and so on the big picture for The Ringer recently... Sean Fennessy and Joanna Robinson were talking about how Marvel movies are not always conducive to directors like Chloe Zhao because they are movies made in community. They are a circus where often you need a director who can be a ringmaster and who can handle some of the dialogue and dramatic scenes, but many, many, many of the action scenes are handled by previs teams and then CGI and, and those effects artists handling it, and you have actors in front of green screens or or just purely constructed, created. And so it's not typically the the place for a director to come strut their stuff and flex. And we definitely have people who do assert their influence over their movies, like James Gunn, probably the best example for somebody within the MCU bringing their own sense of style and letting and, and having a chance to let it shine. Taika Waititi? Like, you understand that Thor Ragnarok is a Taika Waititi movie. Yeah, it, I mean, Thor Ragnarok is significantly different from Thor and Thor the Dark World. So... To that end, I think there are sequences of Eternals where you can absolutely tell that Chloe Zhao is the director, and you know you wouldn't have been surprised if you didn't know who directed the movie going in. But I think at the end of the day, it is still an MCU movie. And yeah, Chloe Zhao is, is all over this movie, and she absolutely deserves credit. So I'm not trying to take away credit from the work that she turned in, because I think she made some really good choices that I hope actually 
bear fruit for the future of the MCU. But at the end of the day, often it doesn't really matter who the director is. These movies are Marvel Cinematic Universe films first and foremost. How would you answer the same question? Because I'm I'm just curious to know what you would think. So, okay, this is the first Chloe Zhao movie that I've seen that has as much dialogue as this does. Normally, I feel like her movies are much more muted. And the the thing that you're taking in is the landscape, not the not what people are saying to each other. And with all of this exposition, it was weird because, like, the opening scrawl, for example. <laughs> yes, very different opening to this movie. We don't get the the now famous theme that Alan Silvestri put together for the first Avengers movie, I believe. You don't get that. No, dun, 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 dun. It's just right into that opening text. <laughs> Which I, I'm like, okay, this is a Star Wars movie. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I think it tries to be sometimes we can discuss that later but the I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and say this i regret not watching this on IMAX, in imax in in dolby in in just the biggest screen possible I, I mean i saw it in theaters obviously you can't not see it in theaters it's not streaming anywhere but the the visuals i think are quite beautiful and the fight scenes against the landscape i think are among the mcu's best that being said I think that there are parts of this movie that are quite terrible <laughs> and parts of this movie that are quite wonderful and I sat there scratching my head at why that was. <laughs> and boy, do I look forward to unpacking this with you, Christian. No, no, no. Let, let's unpack it. And I'll, 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 let's alternate between terrible and working. <laughs> okay. Terrible. The dialogue for some of these people was not it. <laughs> Yeah, this is certainly a movie that was, you could tell, was written by four people. And we should say, the, the Cousins Furpo put, are credited with the... So they're credited with the story, and then Chloe Zhao and Patrick Burley are credited with the screenplay. So I, I would assume that the two Furpos had their hands on creating the story of this movie, writing the treatment, and then giving you know the, the first 40, 50 pages to... Patrick Burley and to Chloe Zhao, and then they hashed out the actual screenplay that you know ended up being shot. But I think this is a feeling that a lot of Marvel movies have, is that you have a lot of writers working on this, and often a lot of teams of writers. So not just two people taking their crack at it, but often you know four or five people uh, working in pairs, and you know it. So there are definitely moments where this movie, the writing does not really shine, and not only. Uh, I don't recall it, the dialogue too specifically, but there's also some... It feels like they're in 20 different movies, and yeah. this has been a different criticism. The way that Rob Stark, Icarus, <laughs> Richard Madden, whatever Richard you want to call him, is speaking with Cersei is not the way that Kingo is speaking with, I don't know, Thena. The way that Thena is speaking, because Thena has a mental illness in this movie. The Mad Weary. Is the Mad Weary is not the way that Druig is emoly contemplating life alongside Makari. This is... Emoly. <laughs> it, 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 it is so odd and bizarre that it, it, uh, so, like these different styles, even the way that they're saying things, it feels like they were directed in 20 different you know, directions. There, there's a lot going on in this movie, and that disconnect... Uh, I, I think you your mileage will vary with the disconnect because I didn't feel it very strongly, but you could definitely tell that Kingo could have been in a Guardians of the Galaxy movie for all I care, but you could not have had Icarus pop up there. And Chloe Zhao was on the record as talking about Men of Steel being an influence on this movie, and you can see the ways that Zack Snyder and Henry Cavill's portrayal of Superman informed Richard Madden's portrayal of Icarus, and not just in how he was performed too, but how he was written. And you can you can definitely feel that the people in this movie. <laughs> like sometimes they are purely comedic sometimes they're purely dramatic and that is too many types not just actors but characters trying to coexist and it can definitely feel weird the yeah i mean yes so the the di the dialogue was 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 not it for me <laughs> but let's let's go on to something that i think worked the fight sequences sure chloe Zhao is not an action director necessarily that this isn't a genre that she has worked in before but these fight sequences i thought were incredible that the especially the ending 
let's go with the ending um, internal dispute. <laughs> to not spoil anything. Internal dispute. At the board meeting, some of the Eternals <laughs> have some disagreements <laughs> on the future of their company. Oh, and the deviant fight. And, and uh, even when they were in Druick's forest... There is there are some I mean the that sequence in the Amazon when the Eternals in the process of putting the band back together go to Druig, there are there's an action scene that comes on the heels of meeting him again and it is one of the best parts of the movie frankly, and I, while watching the action too I, I picked up on something that I've been talking about with Black Widow and with Shang Chi where I want Marvel to continue to let their action scenes breathe and stop cutting them up so frequently there are long takes in these action scenes yes there are actual takes that last more than two seconds (laughs) i picked up on it during that part of the movie where i realized to myself wait a second chloe is doing the thing that i always wanted her to do and or i always wanted marvel to do and again it it just improves the, the feeling of those scenes they feel actually thought out choreographed staged and shot well as opposed to some of the action in previous mcu movies which feels like it was purely constructed in the editing room after combining a million different takes together i mean yes and and the not just the long takes which are there the fight choreography especially angelina jolie's thena's fight choreography thena is so fun to watch (laughs) yes it's great character in terms of the action and at the end um Fausto's honestly fight scene ish what was something that I kept my eye on a lot that I just really really enjoyed yeah they not and they they do get to incorporate some of these characters who uh, we should say if you haven't seen the movie yet you know just fair warning obviously we'll talk some spoilers here minor spoilers but obviously if you have seen the movie you know that different Eternals figure into different parts of the movie. Some of them take longer to show up when, or you know, they only figure into flashbacks. And both Fastos and Makari, who don't show up until later in the movie, get to do some some of the coolest action in this final fight scene, where Makari, whose particular superpower is super speed, gets some of the coolest super speed action in a superhero movie. You know, rivaling I would say Quicksilver from the X Men movies, if you're familiar with those. Uh, okay, cool. Let's go back to terrible. Can, can I can I tell you a terrible thing, Christian? Tell me a terrible thing. The deviants are so terrible <laughs> in this movie. And I will air my grievance here because I think the look of the deviants, uh, there, there are, it's not all bad because I kind of like what they did in having their appearance and their design be informed by different animals or amalgamations of animals. When the one deviant was evolving, I liked that guy. Yes. But I think, in general, the CGI does not look particularly interesting, especially because of their coloration. In, in many as in, in some ways, they look unfinished. <laughs> and <laughs> they stopped drawing. <laughs> no, not that they stopped drawing, but that they they were putting the characters together. It was rendering, it was rendering, and then they just kind of stopped when it was ninety percent complete. And the CGI just like looks very, very bland. So it's kind of like a nice concept, but execution is not there. But there is also a, a a deviant character who you will have seen in the trailers. It's the one that starts to look more humanoid. And it's named Crow, apparently. And it's voiced by Bill Skarsgård. Yes. And the Pennywise, resolution... the dancing clown Pennywise is in this the movie. the dancing clown. And it is a phenomenal waste of Bill Skarsgård's talents, especially because this character... is there for like... 10 minutes this, he oh his character in particular is the worst is the worst part of the movie for me because it does it's one of those moments where you can tell he used to be the big bad villain in a different version of this screenplay and then they changed it and they worked on it and they rewrote it wrote it but they couldn't fully fully pull him out of the movie and the way that they deal with his character is immensely unsatisfying so i am torn on crow because I sometimes like it when who you think is the big bad gets knocked out in favor of the actual big bad. Uh, and, and I think that there, I found it interesting. I don't think it was fully fleshed out because he, even for the 10 minutes he's there, he's not given much. Right. However, um, <laughs> the, the terrible thing I was going to bring up is that it feels like this movie was trying to deal with 1,000 different endings and origins and stuff that added to the mcu this seems like a great 
MCU movie in terms of giving them more to expand. You could do a prequel movie on the Eternals. You could do a future movie for Eternals 2. You could spin these characters off. You could go out into the galaxies. You could talk about other Celestials. You can see how they've interacted with... And I'm like, cool, awesome. But now I am being hit by like 1,000 different things. Where is the story that you want me to focus on here? Yeah, I think one of the harshest criticisms I've heard for Eternals is that it feels like a movie whose only purpose is to set up future MCU installments, be they movies or TV shows. And I think there's enough here that I disagree with that particular point of criticism. It's but also there's... unfair to Chloe Zhao who I, and, and to right. the, the, the Furpees, because I do think that they were trying to write an interesting thing. And I read a review, and I want to quote him. Oh, what's his name? He is... <laughs> Richard Newby. <laughs> Richard Newby, because... Um, we were talking about how these compared to some of the DC movies and the DC movies have been very much deconstructing superheroes and make them wonder about their place on earth. Now, Marvel has done that. Marvel has definitely done that. Captain America Civil War did that. Um, Infinity War did that. Iron Man 2, <laughs> 3 did that as well. Yeah, 3 better than 2. <laughs> well, we're not talking about which ones did it well. But... This very much the entire purpose of this movie is characters at odds with each other because they think that the way that they should have taken humanity is in different routes I, I, I is an interesting concept and different because it, it's um, it's not a superhero being a superhero. It's more like a a an, uh, a counselor, a guide. It's more like a guide. Say, uh, not sure where to actually lead the group that they have. Right, a story about superpowered beings, but not necessarily superheroes. And part of that is is lost on me. So, uh, I'm not sure if it worked on you. Uh, yeah, I think just in terms of is this was this movie like worth existing, or did it only serve the, the larger MCU? I think. There is, there's a lot here to like, and there's so much about Eternals that does stand on its own. I think, like you said, this is just a, a big hunk of movie. This is one of the longest MCU movies, and there are an enormous amount of characters, almost all of whom are, you know, are new. Um, and so there's just so much to work with. It's hard to get yourself fully wrapped around it. And so I think it suffers because of some of that bloat and how big it gets. Um, but there are there just are still parts of it that work for me. And, you know, I, I mentioned how I didn't like the Deviants. I think this movie is better if the Deviants only live in flashbacks and if the Deviants didn't mysteriously come back. Because when you cut out those, some of that, you can focus more on that, the relationships between the Eternals. You can have more action dedicated to their arguments because, of course, they're super-powered and they fight when they argue. And this movie doesn't even always know what to do with the different Eternals as people come in and out of the movie for long stretches of time. And so there's just, there's so much here and it's not I don't think better. I don't think Brian Tyree Henry gets into the movie until like we're an hour and a half, hour, 45 minutes in. Right. He, he makes a couple appearances in flashbacks, but he, he doesn't largely serve the story until a significant amount of time has passed. Okay. Um, something that worked for me. Here we go. The flashbacks. I found very interesting the flashbacks and how if this movie had been all just like a set of flashbacks and then we end in present day where the Eternals are now and then there's like a hint at what they're going to do in the future um, similar to like I mean Wonder Woman Wonder Woman was just a big flashback Cap uh, the first Captain America it was just one big flashback and then at the end it like hints at where their story is going if this had just been similar to what you said about the deviants just them fighting the deviants over different centuries i'm like that's incredible we can see their dynamics we can see how they fell in love we can see um who goes along well with each other why they ended up in the positions that they are now and that movie i've 
would have been phenomenal. The flashback sequences are really cool, and one of the strengths of Eternals, in my opinion, is the way it tries to just expand the timeline, and it shows that, you know, Earth thousands of years ago when the Eternals arrived to save prehistoric peoples from the first Deviants. And it also follows along human history, and there are scenes from human conflicts over time, and I, what I thought was interesting while watching it is it's the third Marvel movie of this year to strongly incorporate flashbacks where Black Widow we get a whole prologue that is set in 1996 featuring the main characters of that movie with you know an extended scene setting the stage for the rest of the movie and all of Black Widow is flashback basically well I I mean I in this in the grand scheme of the MCU yes the, the movie itself isn't unfolding in flashback but, but flashback, again, is used heavily throughout Shang-Chi as we're looking back at the events family for this dynamic. family and, the, mm-hmm. and unpacking the family dynamic, and we learn a little bit more each time. And so it's an interesting you know, narrative device that they are starting to lean on more and more, and I honestly think that it's working well. And it's because of the stories they've chosen to tell. I don't think that Spider-Man far, um, No Way Home is going to use a lot of flashbacks. But I, I agree with you that it works really well here, and... The, some of the best moments are when we have the whole group of Eternals together, arguing or enjoying life or engaging with humans. Some of that stuff is so delightful. There it brings some, me to... Yeah. I mean, it, it brings me to the next thing that's absolutely wonderful about this movie. Uh, Barry Kogan is Druig. <laughs> oh my gosh. I wish listeners, beloved listeners, Christian has not stopped talking about Druig since he's Druig is wonderful. Druig is the reason I need to watch this movie again. You liking Druig is the least surprising thing that has happened on this podcast all year long. Why? Wait, wait, wait. wait. Uh, quite, why? Why is Druig a Christian character? <laughs> For a second, I was like, he has no religion. Uh, uh, just, he, the way he broods and he's emo, and although you yourself like are tend to be optimistic and laugh, like you, you had a, in your past. That's who you were. You loved like angsty music. You hated the world, and you've, you've grown <laughs> as a person, Christian. But I still associate parts of you with this. Like Christian and I, when we first met, it's because we were in a group me, and I was like, anybody like like pop punk music or something and christian was like i like my chemical romance <laughs> like, and 21 pilots like we bonded over that kind of music man uh so i there's not there's choice for pop punk but you liking jurek man i'm not surprised barry kogan is definitely like a rave for, for i don't know but he's he's definitely moshing you know <laughs> <laughs> he's not moshing he's standing in the back and he's like just dropped some crazy drugs and he's just like vibing out on his own. <laughs> that's what he's doing okay but besides the fact that I love everything about Druig, and, 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 and he just needed a black coat or, or, or just like a black sweater. <laughs> That's all I needed from Druig. But he can control human minds. And that is one of the most dangerous superpowers in, ever written into existence. And the how he's like... I don't know why I'm controlling these people to then have them be killed. I'm just going to control them to have them live. And you can even sense like that internal decision, that internal turmoil. I truly think that Druig and Druig's superpowers and how he thought through this are is one of the major themes that Eternals tried to get all the way through that I didn't get from a Cersei or an Icarus or a Sprite. He, yeah, he's one of the only Eternals who, act, like, his his power and his the way he wrestles with it actually adds to the story of this movie. It, it, it adds layers and themes to the narrative. You see the way that he, he can, like, he uses his powers early on to stop fights. He's told not to by Ajak, who's Salma Hayek's character. She's the leader of the Eternals. And he wrestles with the violence that is allowed to unfold and, and how these giant large-scale human conflicts happen, but he can't intervene when he could stop it all in a heartbeat. And we find him later in the movie, we mentioned in the Amazon, where he's got this little commune, basically, of humans who are living a peaceful, conflict-free existence, providing for each other. And so you have to ask the question, is it good that they are... They're, is it good that they are doing all of this conflict-free, but they're not under their own control? Like, is is what Druid doing good, or is it bad, or is it somewhere in between? And he, he, his character adds so much to this movie in the ways that the other Eternals, either they, they add less or they don't get to add much at all. I, I think a terrible thing is that these characters' superpowers 
feels so unimportant. There are few peoples for whom it, it makes sense. Like, Cersei and Icarus, it makes sense because they're the two central characters, I guess. Which, I mean, kind of funny that they are definitely the central characters and we've barely talked about them at all. Cersei less than Icarus. <laughs> Sprite? Superpower might as well not have been there. Because uh, her purpose and her use of illusion... There was one interesting scene where she used illusion to make herself seem older so that... Um, because she, she's like in an 11-year-old body... And she, because she's immortal, living as an 11-year-old has prevented her from experiencing several things in life that others get to experience, like love. Growing up, falling in love, finding your purpose. Yeah, she can't always experience that. And the only time her superpower ties into how she's feeling is there when she masquerades as that woman. She does get to use it. The, the Deviant first appears in London, which is where Cersei has been living and with Sprite. And so she does get to use it in that fight scene where she distracts the Deviant. But after that, then That's, there's yeah. essentially nothing. Gilgamesh and Thena. Uh, Thena, I really like her weapons, how she has the power of those weapons and how she moves. Gilgamesh, it just feels like it was a waste. Like, I could have seen more of him punching people because his superpower was punching. Right. Yeah. He, like, uh, Don Lee is his, uh, I'm not sure the correct term, but maybe anglicized or Englishized name, but Ma Dong Suk is his Korean name. And his, his character is great. This guy, this big giant guy who beats the crap out of deviants with his superpower punches, who also just loves to cook. But yeah, his, his particular power it seems confusing because Icarus already has super strength. This <laughs> is ostensibly his power as well. And so it's kind of like he's the JV version of Icarus who can fly and shoot lasers from his eyes while also being super strong. Ajax healing. Kind of irrelevant. We see her use it sometimes in flashbacks and that's it. It doesn't even really seem that useful. Who else? Faustos is interesting. He, he definitely has the, it, it could be the most powerful person if you think about it, uh, but he obviously is the power of technology, and so he helps guide humanity over the years, giving them technologies, and ultimately we do see he gets to create weapons of his own that only he can use, and he uses them in the final battle, which, to great effect. Should we talk about the controversial scene? Yeah, we should, Christian. We sure should. <laughs> so, of course, we're flashing back throughout human history, and we're wondering when and why the Eternals will or won't intervene, and of course we get to World War II. They're in Japan. They're in Japan. They're in Hiroshima. Uh, yep. Uh, they're in Hiroshima after something happens. After this... Uh, after the United th this States... This big cloud... Drops a bomb... Yeah. ...on Hiroshima. And Faustus is there crying because he says he has led humanity to do this despicable act. The implication being that he helped design the atom bomb. The atom bomb. Now, here's the thing. People think that this scene is absolutely disgusting in, in, in suggesting that um, it was something other than human... Just human brokenness that yeah. made the uh, like that yeah that someone else is what put us there almost like relieving us of that of, of the stress yeah <laughs> now i didn't take it that way when i first saw it i thought that it was more that the humanity he had given them over time um he advanced them too quickly to the point where they made the atom bomb by themselves yes i i see what you're saying uh and i think another piece of this puzzle is that you know we find out why they can't intervene in conflicts and there's two reasons given but one of the reasons that is interesting thematically comes from ajak where she says that you know humans need conflict we can't intervene and some of the other eternals ask why and she says unfortunately it's because conflict drives innovation or maybe that may not have been ajak that could have been someone else and i'm forgetting but it is like it's it's one of those things that when it pops up in a Marvel movie, you're like, what? And you're like, wait a second, that's actually a like, really serious and true thing. Where as many war causes people to make new things to right. fight in the war. Exactly, it innovates in medicine to keep our soldiers alive. It innovates in transportation to get them stuff faster, and like it innovates in weaponry, of course, which that technology then bleeds in other industries. And it is a really interesting idea that is handled not well 
I think the idea itself is is thoughtfully raised, but when it when you get to the Hiroshima moment, it is a little we, bit hard right. to stomach. Exactly. I mean, out what that the I, I mean the Holocaust. That, like basically, I'm thankful we didn't get there. <laughs> After the Eternals letting it, that happen. When but... you start saying, like, war raises innovation, it makes you very cynical of the Eternals. I, I just don't think we needed to go down the rabbit hole of, like, how bad innovation can be. Sure. Yeah, I, I suppose so. But, yeah, that, that scene is a little bit just un, unwise to include. I see where they were trying to do, but, yeah, maybe just a bit too much. So let's... Um, that's most of what I have. And the reason, I, I mean, we can talk about more, but we're going to enter our awards categories soon. And in those awards categories, which you don't know. <laughs> this is true. I have no idea. Um, it was going to also provide a platform for discussion on the future of not just this movie, but the others. All right. Well, Christian, I guess just before we move on past Eternals, I have to ask, because I still don't have a sense of the answer, did you like the movie? I liked it. I liked it. I feel like the ambition and the scale and, and Druig were enough to... <laughs> and Druig. Were enough to, like, put me over the edge on it. It is not coming near my top 20 movies of the year. But there's there's something in this movie where... Beneath it, there's so much potential. It's almost like that potential, and I get maybe I've just fallen prey to the Marvel thing. That potential for future Marvel products around characters that are this interesting with this interesting of a back history. Where's my Druig Solo movie, man? I need a Druig <laughs> Solo. Honestly, I want a Druig and Makari rom com. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of people say that they had a much more compelling romance than Cersei and Icarus. Speaking of, first MCU sex scene, we didn't even get there. <laughs> it's, it's not a sex scene. It's two shirtless people on is, top of each yes, other and is, there's music playing. It is certainly a scene where sex is happening. <laughs> I'll say that. But I, I'm with you. I, I liked this movie. And, and in the grand scheme of things, it is one of my least favorite Marvel movies, but I still liked it. But it's one of the ones that I'm going to think about the most. Because there's there are some interesting themes, for better or for worse. There is a great attempt at scale and ambitious storytelling. And Chloe Zhao swung for the fences at her first attempt at a gigantic movie like this after working on tiny indie movies. And I respect that so much. And I, I just laugh because I looked... My letterbox entry for this is up, and just looking at my feelings on Chloe Zhao's movies, I've seen three of the four. I've seen The Rider, I've seen Nomadland, and I've seen Eternals. And some people would absolutely, uh, ha they, they would call for my execution for this, but I have given all of them three and a half stars. <laughs> there are people who would absolutely kill me for thinking that Eternals is on par with The Rider and with Nomadland, but I, I admire and respect her talent and i think she i'm so excited that she's around because i think she's going to keep making interesting movies even if i am just cool on them and like them but again yeah there's something about it where i, I just have never gone like fully gone for one of her movies but i've liked them all and so i'm glad that she had this chance and i think she does with not just the story but the filmmaking too that she adds more to this than a lot of directors add to their mcu movies so i liked it her the the her directing a Star Wars movie has turned out to be just a rumor, but to her saying that she would like to and people associating her with like the Kevin Feige project, which she does have a Star Wars movie yeah. on the books. I I feel like she would be fantastic directing and writing or co-writing a Star Wars movie in in and how the visually the scope of it, and I feel like I this is one where this was I think a learning thing for her, and so now that she has learned, I want to see what the follow-up is right yeah i i don't think she'll end up directing kevin feige's star wars movie because he likes to work with people who don't see them as the auteur of the project <laughs> he he is the producer with his hands all over the movie and so i could definitely see him picking somebody who is certainly capable skilled and talented but maybe is not the kind of person who likes to assert themselves on the movie which chloe Zhao. She has her sense of style, and some of it did get to leak into this movie, which which I appreciated. But, hey, if she does get her shot at Star Wars, I'll be there, opening weekend, checking it out. Are you ready for these awards? 
I sure am. And and listeners, you know that we like to wrap up our blends of the month with awards reflecting on the month. Normally, Christian or I will share the categories with our, our good and uh, goodly co-host beforehand, but Christian did not reveal these to me. And so I'll be answering off the dome and I'm looking forward to attempting it. So we're going to start, believe it or not, we're going to take a cue from the Oscars. I'm going to start with Best Picture. We're starting with Best Picture. We're starting with Best Picture. <laughs> I think we know no answers. So, Christian, how about this? I'll say what your Best Picture is, and you say what mine is. Yours is Shang-Chi. And yours is Black Widow. Thank you. <laughs> and and I'll, I'm starting out with this because it's a mainstay. I get it. We will be using it in the future. But the next two questions I have are far more interesting to me. <laughs> and if you want to know why we answered those questions that way, feel free to listen to our episodes on each of those movies, which, of course, came before Eternals. Now, um, this question. Of the characters who are still alive in these three movies, whose arc are you most interested in seeing continue? Ooh, whose arc am I most interested in seeing continue? This is hard to say because I'm really excited about Dane Whitman, who's Kit Harrington's character, even though he figures into Eternals for very little screen time, but his he appears in the end credits scene. And Are that he gets and Cersei still dating? <laughs> Who knows, man? She is, uh, after the events of this movie, she is off world. She's occupied. Say. She's <laughs> occupied. So I and, and obviously I do like Shang-Chi, and the character Shang-Chi is someone I'm very excited about. But my answer to this question is Yelena from Black Widow. Because talk on it, yeah. no, speak on it. This is why I made this question. Yeah, yeah. because uh, Florence Pugh is probably my favorite individual actor who is added to the MCU and will probably figure into it long term. Like you kind of got to respect the greats, and like Salma Hayek and Angelina Jolie probably got a little more like to flex on than she does at this point in their careers. But I am really excited about Florence Pugh being in the MCU, and I hope that she continues to make other projects outside of it. But she is just an incredibly exciting movie star. And her character is the best part of Black Widow. And I'm excited to see where she fits in because, obviously, she is a Black Widow. She has the same skill set. But she is a completely different person with a different sense of trauma and a better sense of humor. And I'm looking forward to where she goes, especially in the Hawkeye series because I get the sense, based on the end of Black Widow, she's going to figure into that as an antagonist of some kind. I'm sure she'll ha she'll be good by the end of it, but... She will figure into that in some way that I think will be interesting. And I look forward to her appearing in future projects. And I hope that she gets to lead something someday as well. So long term, I'm most excited about her. Okay, so mine comes from Eternals. And it's very easy to say Druid. I think I just want Druid to be my friend, though. However, I'm not saying Druid. I'm actually going to say Thena. Because something that wasn't touched on that much, even though it's such a fascinating concept, which was basically the entire movie of Eternals. Not touched on that much. Fascinating concept. Maybe we'll get it later. Maybe we won't. Is the idea that when someone lives such a long time, the 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 sickness of Mad Weary is that your memory starts to collapse in on itself. And you remember things that happened in the wrong order. And yes, mental illness. Yes, you can draw connections to dementia and Alzheimer's. To apply that to an Eternal, because we don't know what Angelina Jolie's age is, it could be millions of years in this movie, or how many times she's had her memory wiped. To have a character that fragile remembering different things, and, and with a character as deadly as she is, I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see where they take her. And of course, Christian... We didn't get into this when we talked about Eternals, so this is a major spoiler warning. We're talking about one of the end credit scenes. Of course, at the end of the movie, Thena has left Earth and is riding away on the ship with... And now I feel bad because I'm forgetting who goes with her, but it's Makari Druig? Druig, maybe? Kingo's not there, right? He's on Earth? Yeah, so... Yes. So they are riding off, and who teleports into their ship but Eros, who is, of course... Played by Harry Styles. <laughs> the Eros, the brother of Thanos, a fellow Eternal from a different world. I am very excited about wherever that, that group is going. And Eros's associate, <laughs> who's voiced by Patton Oswalt, and I'm forgetting his name. Tisk tisk. But <laughs> it's, I am very intrigued at where that crew is going. So, <laughs> like, 
I, I I am glad that you picked Athena because I'm excited about her too. Should she figure into other Marvel stories, and that whatever happens with Harry Styles, I think it's going to be fun. So, and th- this next question is is interesting because originally it's going to be which director, which writer director, because actually no, Kate Shirley only directed, but which director or group of writers do you want to see come back and work on a project? Um, I'm going to change that. I'm going to tweak that. And I'm going to say, whose franchise, whose set of films, of which all three of these will undoubtedly get more added to them, Black Widow, I do think we'll see Black Widow too eventually with Yelena at the helm. Are Are you most excited about? I... That is a tough question because my feelings on Black Widow kind of tapered off after I watched it again. But of course... It'll be a different character on a different adventure. And Shang-Chi is my favorite of this trio of movies. But I'm not... I I guess I don't know enough about kind of the character and the lore and know where this could go. And then you have Eternals, which could go in a million different directions. (laughs) And so I think I will say that I'm most excited about the future of Shang-Chi's adventures. Because I think they leave it in an interesting place where he and Katie are getting set up to be part of avenging or whatever superhero brotherhood they have going on and his sister of course Shaoling, is now in charge of the 10 rings organization and i look forward to seeing that brother sister conflict play out in the future and i i just liked the the tone and feeling of shang chi the most out of these movies and eternals was similar with its heavy use of flashback and serious attempt at themes so it was probably close between those two but i will say i'm more excited for shang chi 2 whatever it would be called uh, more so than i am maybe the black widow adventure with yelena or however the eternals come back what about you so i'm you know i'm gonna go ahead and say in terms of film franchise i'm with you on shang chi because i there are um comic books where he defeats spider-man and actually trains spider-man and where he can go like toe-to-toe with wolverine and so that and seeing how I, I'm basically excited for a film franchise in which he interacts with other Marvel characters. Right. I, I would say I hope that, you know, even my hope is that Marvel would continue to bleed into it, but he would the way that that movie feels, the and the inspirations that it takes from other movies like the Wuxia movies that I talked about, I hope that that is consistent with the franchise. That wherever it goes, it's got the same feeling. That I mean, that being said, I'm interested more for the character arcs in, in, in Eternals, but I will... I'm going to reserve judgment until I see where they go with them. Because it's entirely possible that they drop the ball. That that's it's just a it's just too much. Yeah. And this is what breaks Marvel. Yeah. And but that is it. That's all I have. Folks, that is our Marvel 2021 blend of the month. It's, it's not over. It's <laughs> the blend is over, but Marvel 2021 month marches on. So that's maybe we got to work on the nomenclature, I suppose. But Christian, just one last question for you while we tease the listeners with what's coming next. But this, these three movies featured a lot of place setting, a, lot, a send off to Black Widow, and a lot of introducing new characters, as well as expanding the scope of the MCU with the Eternals and Celestials. We're finally getting Spider-Man coming up in December, and then it's a string of sequels after that. So overall, do you feel like this was a successful move by Marvel, taking some risks and setting some things up to start Phase 4? Do you wish that we would have gotten some of these sequels instead? I mean, Black Widow would have had to have been first no matter what, but how do you feel about all of the the events of these movies as they'll figure into the MCU? As obviously we are fans of it, so we're both looking forward to more MCU movies. So just how do you feel? Um... That's difficult in that it's cool to see new characters. It is cool to see introductions. It is drawing in new viewers, for sure, and people who weren't knowledgeable about the MC in the past. This is actually, you can kind of jump, this is a jumping off point for some people. A few references to Thanos and the blip, but you can get past that. That being said, I'm also, this is this where where like Marvel shooting itself in the foot is it too big are there too many characters Eternals feels like you took the universe and you multiplied it by five Uh, so it's I 
it's interesting to me. It was an incredibly interesting Marvel year for me. It's not, I don't think it's my favorite Marvel year. I'd have to go back year by year and see like what my favorite movie combos have come out. But I'm not upset that this is what we got. I'm with you. I, I, I liked all of these movies, Shang-Chi more than Black Widow and Eternals. And I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how they figure into the future. But I gotta say, I am excited for a little more Spidey coming out this Christmas. And I'm more excited for some of the other heroes who are already established in the MCU, seeing how their adventures continue. So, should be good as we get into the rest of Phase 4. But Christian, we're not talking about Phase 4 anymore. It's time to reflect on Phases 1, 2, and 3. Because coming up on our next episode, we are actually taking a look at the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe and we're going to be ranking the films within it. This is why did I why did I do this? I don't know, Christian. Why I sure I, don't why know. Why did I do this? Why <laughs> did I recommend this idea? I'm glad you that you how are. How long that's going to take? <laughs> yes, Christian, I do, and that's why I'm surprised that you recommended it. But it's too late. The listeners know now, unless you edit this out and post, in which case they'll have no idea what's coming up next week. <laughs> But yes, folks, we're going to be taking a look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole. We've talked about a couple different ways of ranking these movies. Might not do a 1, 2, 3, 4, 26 ranking. Might, might experiment there, but, but maybe we'll land on the 1 through 26. Christian, what are you feeling on, on my alternate method that I raised to you? Um, I like that method. The thing is, I also recognize that ranking them all is probably cooler <laughs> okay we'll see we'll see what happens we're, we're just gonna need to limit the discussion like, yeah i don't <laughs> i don't want to spend five minutes arguing over which one's worse thor the dark world or thor or iron man 2 uh the answer to that is probably iron man 2 but we also should we we have guests coming on do don't we Yes? I believe so. I think so. <laughs> so Let's we'll just... hold off on saying who they are, though. Okay, we, uh, we have some friends we've asked to partake in this journey with us, one of whom would be making his Cinema Drip debut. So we are going to wait and see on that as long as we can confirm schedules. And we are going to say, because we don't know when we'll actually get to record, we have to confirm with these people and their schedules. This episode is dropping, of course, November this Friday? Yeah, this Friday. November this Friday. <laughs> November this Friday. I'm forgetting the date. It is November the 19th when you'll be listening to us talk about Eternals in your podcatcher. And typically the episode would follow on the 26th. We're just going to say it will be coming by the end of November. We might need a little bit of extra time to just work with schedules and give Christian time to edit everything. So it'll be out by the end of November for sure. So just no promises it'll come the 26th. We're hoping that'll be the case so we can keep on our release schedule. But... Until then, do look forward to our full MC ranking, and please, 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 send us your thoughts on your favorite, least favorite, or most indifferent Marvel movies. I would love to know what you guys think of the MCU. I want to know what you guys think of The Incredible Hulk. Yes. I really want you to know what you all think about Captain Marvel, or, um, oh, what's another one that people just don't care about? <laughs> um ant-man the original ant-man i love ant-man ant-man and the wasp (laughs) no one cares about so sincerely our our email for this podcast as you know is cinema drip podcast at gmail.com and i would love nothing more than to share some listener feedback on the mcu paul gonzalez is not allowed to email us paul gonzalez is absolutely allowed to email us after he suggested baseball month he's been banned well christian we didn't do baseball month you're welcome but our our good buddy paul is always allowed to email but i would love to hear from some of you who have we've not heard from before it would be good to know your thoughts both on the show and your feelings on the mcu and we will absolutely be sharing listener feedback on that episode so please send us an email we'd love to hear your thoughts And of course, in general, if you do have feedback for us, some things that you'd like us to cover on the show, some of your favorite movies of the year, we're coming up on December, it's going to be time to look back at 2021 in movies, or just anything that you think could be beneficial to us here on the show, please do send us your thoughts and feedback. We would appreciate it. Again, that's cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. The other things that you can do to support this show is, of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We would appreciate it. It helps us reach new listeners. And leave us a rating and a review if your podcatcher allows. Typically, I just say Apple Podcasts, and we love to read those reviews when they come in. But again, ratings, reviews, subscriptions help us reach new listeners, helps us promote the show. So please do all of the above. We would sincerely appreciate it. 
You can also follow Christian and myself on social media. We're both on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we're watching. And Christian, do you have an MCU-ranked list on Letterboxd? No, I do not. I have one. It's a little bit out of... Well, it's not. I wouldn't say out of date. It's just that I have not touched it in a, a little while. I haven't added the post-Infinity Saga movies to it. So I'll have to look it over. And as I'm rewatching some Marvel movies in anticipation of our conversation, maybe shuffle that around. So feel free to give my personal list some feedback if you want on Letterboxd. You can, of course, follow us on social media. Myself and the show are on Twitter. And Christian is on Instagram. Christian, any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home? Please help. Please help. <laughs> Please help. Send us in your thoughts on the MCU. I'd love to know what movies you think are so much better than their reputation or that suck and they're totally not worth their reputation. We'll be sharing as much listener feedback on that episode as we can. So do please send that in. And until that episode, until next time, this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast. <laughs>